Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Good it's good to see the church filled up with people today on, on Mother's Day. Liturgically, we're between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday, but today, of course, is a civil holiday uh, of Mother's Day, and I, I often, even though it's just a civil holiday, I like to give a Mother's Day homily. So I'm going to do, do that, and my, my text is going to be from the first epistle to uh, first epistle of John, our second reading. There's a famous passage here that we've heard, and it says, "God is love." Simple as that. God is love. Now, if you read through the Bible and you you study theology in general, and then also really kind of philosophy and, and asking the kind of the, the big picture questions in life. One of the sort of perennial themes that's there is this kind of a conflict, I guess. Maybe not a conflict, but maybe a tension between God's love and his justice. Okay, so on the one hand, you have God who is, who is love, and he's merciful, and he's compassionate. On the other hand, he's, he's a just God, and he's the God that, that gives law. He's the God of law and righteousness, and uh, sometimes, it's difficult to reconcile these two aspects of God. And we see that kind of, that question or that problem, if you will, all throughout sacred scripture. And it's a, it's a problem that thinkers have dealt with for, for a very long time, for thousands of years. Um, in any event, however you can reconcile these two ends or these two aspects or these two attributes of God, they, in the mystery of God, are not, there's no conflict. And they, they both, are true of God. Now, human beings are made in God's image, and I believe that both men and women together reflect these respective attributes of God. Matter of emphasis, of course, not a, it's not an either-or question, it's a matter of emphasis, that women have, a, in, a certain, in a certain sense, reflect or image forth God's love, and men, on the other hand, image forth or reflect or have more of a tendency to image forth and reflect God's justice. Okay, I was listening to a psychologist recently who was talking about. Um, he was actually an evolutionary psychologist, uh, and he was discussing in a very detailed way, manner that I can't even re- reproduce, much less I'm going to speak about it to you. But he was in a very detailed way. He was he was talking about the the brain and the central nervous system. Um, of women and how it is particularly adapted to taking care of infants who are under one years old. And if you think about an infant that's under one year old, you know, when it starts crying and, and fussing and whatnot, you know, you don't, you don't apply the law to it. You don't say, hey kid, you know, get your act together, stop that, you know. Um, you, the, the, the child under one years old is always right. Okay, you just have to unconditionally take care of its needs and make it comfortable and accommodate it. Period. Period. There, there's there's no conditions or strings attached whatsoever. Now, of course, as children grow older, they need the influence of both you know unconditional love, but also discipline and laying down the law and whatnot. Otherwise, they turn into spoiled brats. But for one-year-old child or one-years-old especially and, and under, that whole dimension of law just does not come into the picture. And the mother is particularly adapted to give that unconditional love, to accommodate, to minister to, if you will, that child. 
And uh, there's something special about that motherly love, that just unconditional love. Uh, it reflects God's love in a, in a very special way. Recently, I faced a, a personal dilemma, and uh, I turned to a saint in our tradition, St. Alphonsus Liguori, who is, if you don't know, he is the most important moral theologian in the Catholic tradition, St. Alphonsus Liguori. And so I was reading some of his works, and, uh, you know, he's, he's all about the, the moral law. And I was puzzling over a certain problem and trying to solve a kind of a dilemma in, in my own personal life. And uh, he, in one of his writings that I was reading, pointed me to, to Our Lady, to Mary. So I started to pray this particular prayer that he recommended, praying to Mary. And uh, it was just um, Friday in the wee hours of Friday morning. I had, I, I, I believe, what was a spiritual experience. Maybe it's subjective and I'm imagining it. could be. Uh, and I don't have a lot of spiritual experiences. And if I do, I usually don't share them. But I'll share this one with you today. It was in the wee hours of Friday morning. And I was starting to kind of come awake just a little bit. Maybe it was 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I had this very strong sense that a particular saint was praying for me in regards to this dilemma that I was having. And it was St. Therese of Lisieux. Now, I haven't thought about her or talked about her about for about a year, quite frankly. So she wasn't on my mind. And just suddenly, about 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning, I had this very, very strong impression that she was interceding for me in regards to this dilemma. So it's very interesting because I started off with the kind of the male principle, St. Alphonsus Liguori, the moral law, and next thing you know, I find myself being bounced over by the Holy Spirit to this kind of the female, the feminine, motherly principle. I have St. Therese who's interceding on my behalf. So I woke up and I started to pray to her, to asking her to obtain graces and help for me. Later on that day, I did all my different priestly duties that I had to do, and in the evening I went to Wegmans to get some flowers for my mother, for Mother's Day. And I was looking at carnations, and we're selling, we're not selling, but we're giving away carnations today, in fact, but I was looking at carnations, and I was looking at these different bouquets, and I wanted to get a, you know, a certain kind of healthy spring-like looking thing, and I didn't really necessarily think of roses, but I said to myself, there's something about, like, I can't leave this store without getting at least one rose for my mother. And so it was really kind of impressed on my mind. I couldn't really explain why I wanted to get this rose. So I bought one rose in addition to the other flowers that I bought. I went home, put it in a vase, was preparing my homily, and I had been reading stories about mothers for the past few days. And that, that Friday uh, evening, I came across a story, very interesting, about a mother who had a... 20 weeks into her pregnancy, was told that she, her baby was going to be born prematurely. And so she started to pray to St. Therese. And uh, that story reminded me that in our spiritual tradition, it said that when you pray to Therese, if she answers your prayer, she will send you a rose. And in the story itself, something very interesting happened. The woman, after praying to Therese, went, uh, her husband went and bought a huge pack of paper towels, and they were plain white paper towels with no pattern on them whatsoever. That was the that was the towel, the paper towels they bought. But when they opened up the package, one roll, the first roll that they opened up, and only one out of the 24, however many there were in there, had a whole pattern of roses on it. Okay, and so this woman took that as a sign that St. Therese had heard her prayer. 
And as I'm thinking about this and, and recalling this and remembering this, oh, you're right, there's that whole idea that when St. Therese hears your prayer, she sends you a rose. And I look over, and there's the rose that I had just unwittingly bought there in this vase that was, that was there waiting for, for Mother's Day to come along. And uh, I really take that, that there is this motherly saint in heaven taking care of us in general and taking care of me in particular in regards to this particular dilemma. Here's another story that I, that I came across here that involves a rose. It features this, this Irish Catholic family from the 1940s uh, in Pennsylvania. And it was the, the Patrick family, okay? Can't get any more Irish than that. And uh, Mrs. Patrick, and then there, one of her many children, Kevin, became very good friends with a guy named uh, Dorian. And uh, they had the, the, the Patrick family kind of had, had to adopt this young man, Dorian, into their, into their family. And they nicknamed him Duffy. Well, Duffy's story goes something like this. He, his mother died in uh, giving birth to him, so he never knew his mother. And his dad was very emotionally distraught and kind of, in consequence, sort of emotionally distant from him for the first few years of his life. And eventually he was sent to his aunt's house, and then his aunt eventually became very sick, and she had to send him back to his father's house. And uh, he was kind of just wandering around and didn't have a lot of uh, strong sort of parental, uh, much less motherly care in his life. And so he, he meets the Patrick family in, when he's in junior high, and the Patricks kind of adopt him into their, into their fold, so to speak. He's there all the time, and he's a very good athlete, and so is Kevin Patrick, and so Kevin and Duffy get along because they play sports together. And uh, everybody in their Catholic school comments on the quality of their friendship and how special it is, so forth and so on. They move into high school. It's the first years of high school. Mother's Day comes along, and there's this yearly ritual that the Patrick family does. They all bring the, their gifts to, to Mrs. Patrick, and she acts all surprised, so forth and so on, and she kisses each one uh, and thanks for the gifts that they've given to her. And uh, there's Duffy in the corner, kind of shy. It's not his biological mom, but he got her a gift. He brought her a rose. And so he comes up and he says, Mrs. Patrick, I'd like to give you this rose. And he hands her the rose. And she's very, very touched. She leans over and kisses him on the cheek just like she would one of her own children. And uh, so that little bit of kind of touching moment, it, it comes and it goes. They all go out and play baseball. And that was the end of the, inc- of the scene. Only a few years later, Duffy graduates from high school and goes off to the Korean War. And he unfortunately gets killed in the Korean War. So so there's a lot of sorrow and sadness that that comes upon the Patrick family. And uh, his body's brought back home. There's a funeral mass set for him. And then afterwards, they're all mourning his loss and they're telling stories about him. And this is what what happens here. As the rest of us shared stories of Duffy's life, Mama got up from her chair and disappeared into her bedroom. Moments later, she returned carrying a box. Then carefully lifting... Opening the box, she pulled out of it a rose. It was the same rose that Duffy had given to her probably four, three or four years earlier. Uh, and then she says, it's all dried up, and she says, I pricked my finger, she said softly, the day Dorian gave this to me. Pricked it on this very thorn when I went to put it in its vase. Tapping lightly on the still sharp thorn, she quietly continued, uh, 
Dorian had so little in the way of joy when he came among us, she sighed. Uh, I often wished I could take away that boy's sorrow. I studied Mama. It was not like her to talk this way, nor had I ever seen her talk on while tears rolled down her cheeks. He gave me this rose, Mama said, and I kissed his cheek. Then, when you boys were getting ready for your ball game, he sat down beside me to wait. He gently put his hand in mine, and he thanked me for being his mother. Now, until that moment, we had never known that that had happened. Ah, she uttered from the depth of her own grief. He's got his own mother as well as Mother Mary with him now, but for a while he was like another of my own, and I'll miss him so much. And with that, Mama put the rose back in the box, carried it back to her room, and shut the door. Now, I, I see in this story the wonderful ability of motherly love to really transcend the biological. We have here an example of a mother exercising that motherly love towards someone who's not even her own biological child. And uh, we have the great example of St. Therese of Lisieux, who gave up biological motherhood and is all the more so a mother for all those who invoke her and who call upon her. And so in the beginning of this homily, I talked about how, in a, in a certain sense, how motherly love is rooted almost in a kind of a, bi- it's got a biological foundation before uh, to it. But ultimately it transcends biology and it's spiritual. And it reflects God, a dimension of God, in a very privileged and special way. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we honor mothers and as we honor motherly love, we also honor God in a special way. God who is love and who is reflected in a a special and privileged way um, by motherly love.